Well, hello everyone. Welcome to a new year and a new series of programs on Crossroads where faith and culture meet. I'm Rita Peters and I'm here with my co-host Mark Meckler. Mark, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. It's a good one. I am probably one of the rare people in the country I'm listening to who is truly looking forward to 2024. Me too. (laughs) Enough with the naysayers. Like, let's bring it on. Let's see what 2024 holds. Well, we're going to kick off 2024 right by diving into a series of episodes on the topic of social justice, because, you know, we don't shy away from the hard stuff here on Crossroads. Mark, does this sound like a good way to heat up some controversy or what? (laughs) (laughs) It definitely usually does, right? I mean, even when you say the word social justice to me, I can feel myself getting rankled. Like, I I don't love the topic. I'm generally, I just push back immediately against the topic. And so I think this is really important. We as Christians are hearing this term everywhere. I mean, I think years ago, it might have been uh, in an academic setting only. Uh, Then it moved out from there. Now it's in corporations. It's on TV. It's in television ads. You might even hear it at the grocery store from somebody in the line next to you. So I think it's important that we as Christians who are out in the world, we need to understand what it means when people are talking about social justice. We need to understand as people who fundamentally believe in justice, because that's us as Christians, That's what we are told by the word of God, that we're supposed to do justice. And so we should understand what it means when people are talking about social justice and how we as Christians can live out the idea of justice in the world. So we're calling this series A Christian Approach to Social Justice, and we're basing it off a great new book that I would encourage our audience members to pick up. You can get it on Amazon. It's called Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, 12 Questions Christians Should Ask About Social Justice. It's kind of a long title, but the book is written by Thaddeus J. Williams. So if you're looking for it on Amazon, again, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, and the author is Thaddeus J. Williams. Mark, I wanted us to cover this topic on Crossroads because as you alluded to just a minute ago, the very term social justice evokes an emotional reaction from most of us. It's really a catch-all label that people apply to any issue they feel strongly about. That's how I see it anyway. I mean, you take climate change, you take abortion, people find a way to apply the label social justice to that. So why do you think, you know, when I asked you, Mark, what do you think about doing this on Crossroads? You were right away like, yeah, let's do it. I'm getting the book. Why did you think it's so important for us to talk about this? Because I think, and this is especially true as Christians, I think it's true for everybody, but especially true if you're a believing Christian, a professing Christian, you're going to face this everywhere you go. You're going to face it if you're a parent at your kid's school. If you're a grandparent, you might hear it from your grandkids. Uh, You're going to face it at church. A lot of churches now are talking about social justice and are quote-unquote pursuing social justice. You're going to see it on television. You're going to hear it on the news. You're going to hear a lot of different perspectives about it. Uh, You're going to hear that if you're a person who doesn't quote-unquote believe in social justice, then you're a racist, you're a bigot, you're a homophobe, you're a misogynist. 
Uh, and then if you are somebody who embraces the term social justice, you might think those things about people who don't like the term. Like I just initially, I have a negative reaction to the term because I think it's loaded with a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, it's an overloaded term, in my opinion. You said something really interesting to start and I'll wrap here, which is it kind of means everything. I mean, people put it on top of uh, economics. It's capitalism versus socialism. It's the life versus abortion issue. It's poverty. It's environment. And you name it, people slap the label social justice on it. So as Christians, we need to know what it means and then how to deal with it in the real world. Yeah. And you know, Mark, we have to remember as Christians that God defines justice. He is a God of justice. He commands us to do justice. That's a commandment. It's not an option. So as Christians, we can't just ignore the issues that really do involve justice. And we have a responsibility to discern what issues those are. Would you agree with that? I do. And this is one of the problems we have with terms like social justice. And, and it's not just this. And I would argue, and, and I want to clarify, this is not intended to be a left-right debate, but the term social justice is primarily adopted by the left. Yeah. So when we talk about it, uh, and in this series and in the book, uh, he talks primarily about the left and their use of the term social justice. And so I'm going to speak about it from that perspective uh, but I think there's plenty of people on the right that also abuse the idea of justice for political purposes. Yeah. And so I think this is the first level is, what does justice mean? What does it mean when we're talking, take away the modifier, social justice, environmental justice, what does justice mean? And I think it's important that we as Christians go back to the basics. Uh, and this is what you do when you're looking at any issue, I hope, that is confusing and is, has become complicated in the modern world. And you say, well, in a biblical sense, what does that mean? And so for me, what justice means is looking at what God means by justice. What do, what do we talk about in the Bible? We're talking about do justice. And there's many places in the Bible where you can find the word justice and, and commandments or directions to do justice. It's doing justice to widows, doing justice to orphans. And it's really, I mean, I would make it very simple. It's actually just doing what you know, absolutely know in your heart is right according to the Bible. Yeah. That's the key. And I have to say, Mark, on the topic of the terminology, I remember our dear friend, Tom Coburn, for those of you who aren't familiar with the name, he was U.S. Senator from Oklahoma, and he served as senior advisor with our organization, Convention of States, until <clears throat> he passed away. A few years ago, just a just a lion of a man, great Christian, great friend. I remember him saying to me one time, there's no social justice. There's just justice. And yes. that's the way I actually think of it. It sounds like that's the way you think of it, too. Williams's way of addressing the term in the book is simply to say that all justice is social because justice involves multiple people, right? So that kind of made sense to me, and um, I, I'm good with that. Williams uses two categories. He talks about social justice A and social justice B, and he refers to biblically compatible justice seeking as social justice A. 
So that's, you know, justice from a biblical worldview, just social justice A. And then he labels everything that conflicts with the biblical worldview as social justice B. What's interesting to note, though, is that whichever category of social justice someone is fighting for and whichever side of the debate they're on, they all really believe that they are on the right side of history, so to speak, that their cause is the just one. So the thing that determines which side a person is on is really worldview, right? And Mark, how would you define the concept of worldview for our audience? Yeah, You know, I think this is really interesting, and I think people should think about this. We go through our daily lives, and we rarely think about what our worldview is. A worldview is something we just have. It's what's inside of us from how we were born, what kind of household we were raised in, what our education is, and fundamentally for Christians, what we believe. If you're a professing Christian, you have a biblical worldview, hopefully, and that means you view everything through the lens of the Bible and what God says is biblically correct based on the word. And so what that means is you will react to things in your daily life without thinking, oh, I'm going to apply my biblical worldview here. You're just going to say, well, I find that offensive. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, if you're a Christian, you find abortion offensive. And it's not because you think your way through it in every moment where you encounter it and you think, well, I don't like it because of X, Y, and Z. You know that killing an unborn child is wrong. And you know that because you're a Christian, a human, and that's what you believe. That's part of your worldview. So anything that touches on that issue, you're going to naturally filter through that worldview and you're going to react to that. You're going to have an immediate emotional internal reaction without even thinking your way through it. So it's that filter through which you literally view everything in your life and react to things in your life often without thinking. Yeah. You know, I really thought it was interesting in the book, Williams gives an illustration um, and he calls it the madness machine. And he gives some examples like um, you take a situation, for instance, one person makes more money than someone else. And you ask yourself, should I be mad? And this is like a shortcut to determining, you know, your worldview. Um, another example, and this one from real life, the baker who declined to bake a cake for a gay couple's wedding. Should I be mad about that? And, you know, different people have very different reactions to those situations. And that reveals your worldview, how you react to those kinds of things. I think the sticking point here is that Williams does not believe, and we, Mark, do not believe that justice is relative. We believe that certain worldviews are more calibrated toward human flourishing than others. And I think that belief in and of itself is a point of great contention today. Like there's this, you know, effort to sort of consider, for instance, all cultures that have ever existed over time in human history are sort of equally good and valuable. And no, that's not like a, a culture that exalts something like child sacrifice. No, that's not good. <laughs> that's not the way to human flourishing. But it seems like today we're very reluctant 
to make those calls. Would you agree with that? Do you see that phenomenon, Mark? Yeah, I do. And I want to back up a little bit to what you were saying about the madness machine. I think it ties in here because my reaction when you say a culture that practices child sacrifice, if that goes in the front end of my madness machine, I say that makes me bad, mad. Yeah. Right. And out the other side comes my position. So you get mad. And then what's my position? Yeah. My position is anti-culture that practices child <laughs> sacrifice, right? Like I want to shut that culture down. Yeah. I want to stop. We should... I mean, I'm going to go to the extreme end of, you know, we should bomb those people. We should go to war against those people. We should do something to protect those children. That's what comes out the other side of my madness machine. And I want to be careful because when he says madness, he only generally means like we're going mad, like losing our minds. It does cause us to lose our minds if we don't stop and think. Uh, but what he means is what gets you mad and then what position do you take because you're mad? Yeah. When you say social justice, and I feed that in one side of my machine, and he describes it as like a, a fortune cookie paper coming out of the other side mm -hmm. saying I'm mad, and then your position, you say social justice, I say my machine says I'm mad because yeah. I say this is irrational and unjust, right? And so that just becomes my position. And there's not, to be fair and, and self-critical, when I do that, when I go put something through my madness machine, I'm not really thinking about it. Right. It's based on my worldview. My worldview is packed inside that machine. In goes the input, out comes the output, and I'm not stopping to think. And so the world is full of all of us running around with our little madness machines inside of ourselves, deciding the machine tells us what to be mad about and what not to be mad about, and then why. And it usually has a little slogan on the back end that allows us to express why we're mad. There's not much thinking going on. And part of what's going on in our culture now is we're not thinking because there is so much what you described is moral relativism. Yep. Everything's the same. And who are we to judge? And we shouldn't. This really, I think, came into full swing in the 1990s uh, where we just don't judge anything. And the worst thing you can do is to judge something. That will cause you to be judged, but almost nothing else will. Yeah. And Mark, I think we saw this on full display or still seeing it on full display, for instance, in the war in Israel, you know, with people who it didn't seem to matter what terrible atrocities were being committed, are being committed by Hamas. You have some people who are just unwilling to say that's wrong, that is evil. And I think that has something to do with their madness machine, their worldview, being unwilling to call evil evil because they have this idea that, no, you know, there there's two sides to every story. One can't be right and one can't be wrong. Every, you know, there's shades of truth here, shades of goodness and bad. Would you agree that was an example of, of this? strange phenomenon of like not willing to call evil evil in society today. Yeah. I mean, people who would normally say that what they're seeing in Gaza, what they saw the Palestinians do is pure, unadulterated evil. They would say that about almost any other situation. In that one, they're not. There's some kind of weird moral relativism going on. That machine is complicated. We're making it sound very simple. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of shades and a lot of different angles packed, a lot of gears in that machine. I think in Israel, there's a couple of things going on in particular inside the madness machine for some people. Uh, I mean, I can tell you in for me inside, again, my own personal bias, my worldview, Israel is the holy land. 
That's the place where God chose his people. That's where the book is from. That's everything we know about our faith comes out of Jerusalem. And so for me, my bias built into the, into the madness machine is protect Israel, protect the Jews. This is part of my obligation, right? We're supposed to, we are commanded actually to take care of the Jewish people and to love the Jewish people. So that's part of my bias in the madness machine. So I see an attack on the Jews. I'm going to say that's bad. I stopped and looked at the nuance. I think there's a, other people have a bias in there. I hate to say this, but there is a millennia old, very uh, insipid anti-Semitism that's always been in the world. It's literally been there as, as long as we have recorded history, people hate the Jews. And I think in some people's madness machine, they see, oh, look at the Jews and they've got all this military power. So we have to hate them. And it doesn't matter what brought this on the Palestinians or Hamas. We're not going to think about that because some people have in their madness machine this slice of anti-Semitism. Yeah. I, I think this is important and I, I have a feeling this is where you're going. We can't, we got to be really careful about judging people's motives. Right? This is a really important thing. Yeah. Uh, I know this comes up in the book and, and you're welcome to chat about that if you want. Uh, I call it motive attribution or negative motive attribution. Yeah. Yeah, I, we will definitely talk more about that. The The point of Thaddeus Williams' book that we're reviewing in this series of Crossroads episodes is to help Christians discern what justice requires when it is defined by a biblical worldview. And, you know, that is not always easy for people to do today. And I'll just give one example. And the example is on the issue of abortion, which I'm sure we'll talk about in, in more depth later in the book. But, you know, even for a Christian who personally believes that abortion is wrong, would not have an abortion personally because they believe it is the killing of a human being. There are lots of people in our society today who have those beliefs, but at the same time think that it's okay that other people should be allowed to have abortion if they want to. And, you know, that's just an example of one issue where even if you know what your own personal worldview is and what your own belief system dictates, it's not always easy to see how that relates to justice on a on a social or broader scale. Why is this so hard for us today, Mark? I mean, first of all, just it's always hard for humans, I would say forever, because we look at things from our own perspective. And one of the hardest things for a human being to do is to look at something from somebody else's perspective. So this is really an important part of understanding your own worldview is can you step outside of yourself and understand what's your worldview? Like why are you thinking the things that you're thinking? Uh, but I also think it's hard because we have been taught it's, it's almost like a complete flip, Rita. We, we went into this total morally relativistic period in the United States, which I would say hit its zenith in the 1990s. Everything goes, can't judge, to now you will be judged and you will be judged severely if you don't believe everything goes. Yep. Right? So it's this weird flip. This is now, I think, that we live in the most judgmental period in probably in history, you could say at least since the Victorian era, I mean, our society is so oppressively judgmental. It's judgmental primarily against people who have our worldview, which is a biblical worldview. If you believe that there is judgment, if you 
believe that there is right and there is wrong, that there is a way to live your life within a biblical worldview, and there's a way that's outside of that worldview, and you express those things, you will be judged for those things. So that makes the world very difficult. It's much easier to say, well, for me, abortion, I would never do it, but for everybody else, who am I to judge? That's the easy way out. Once you start saying, I'm going to take a, a position that comports with a biblical worldview, you're going to find yourself in difficult situations. Yeah. And so you hit upon something really interesting. And I think you hit upon the key about what makes it hard today to, you know, take a stand for what we believe justice is. And it's that it's scary. It's hard. It takes courage because we will be attacked when we stand up for what justice is according to a biblical worldview. And Mark, it might seem self-serving because I am a Christian, but it seems to me that the environment we are operating in today is very much anti-Christian. As you said yourself, it's very we're very tolerant about everything else, but when it comes to the Christian perspective, the Christian worldview, we are judged, we are hated, we are labeled as bigots and, you know, all kinds of other terrible things. So I think it's just that we have to have a lot of courage in this day and age to stand up for true justice. I agree with that. Uh, and I would add that this is the best time I could think of in history to be a Christian. <laughs> And one, because I think all times are the best times in history to be a Christian because we're saved and we have the promise and we know the ending. So that's one. It's just we have the good news and we've accepted that news and we've been saved by grace. So that always makes it a great time. But I also, for me, I want to be alive during a time period when professing my faith, it actually means something in the world. Mm. There's darkness out there. You and I were talking before we came on that uh, you were listening to something about all the darkness that's out there right now. That's why we both wore black today, right? <laughs> Representing the darkness. But it also, when there's darkness, uh, you know, there's an old adage that a single candle brings an incredible amount of light to a darkened room. Mm. Like you can see a lot. One little candle in a dark room can light up a whole room as your eyes adjust to the light. And so the opportunity to be that light in a world that is against that light, that's trying to snuff out that light, it's exciting. You know, I, I have named 2024 the year of no. And you may remember, uh, you're probably just barely old enough to remember, there was an anti-drug campaign many years ago. I think it was during the Ford administration. And the campaign was just say no. Yes, I remember. And, okay, so if you're a little bit younger than Rita or I, you may not remember that. It was just so uh, impactful, in my opinion. Three small words, just say no. And what it referred to back then was don't take drugs. And what I'm saying is it refers to everything that's non-biblical in the modern world now. Mm -hmm. And I am just saying no to uh, critical race theory, which is just racism. I'm just saying no to DEI, which is all the diversity garbage they're foisting on us. I'm just saying no to abortion. I'm still just saying no to drugs. But what I mean by just saying no is I mean actually say no. Mm -hmm. I don't mean just turn your head away and like, I'm not going to look at that because I don't like that thing. I mean, speak up. And you, the reason I brought this up is you mentioned it's dangerous. It is dangerous. I'm asking you, I'm saying that the Bible asks us to put your job on the line, Yep. to put your social status on the line, 
to put your church family on the line, to put your family on the line. Cause you might have kids, maybe they're teenagers and they're spouting a bunch of this stuff and it drives you crazy, but you don't want to fight with them over it. And you know, whether you're an adult with adult kids like I am, or you got younger kids like Rita does, they might bring this stuff home from school and you've got to say no. And that's going to cause arguments. The answer is just say no, you've got to do it boldly. And as Christians, it's easier for us because we know what's right. We know what is justice because we have a biblical worldview. I love it, Mark. I'm making this the year of just say no for me too. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, now there's two of us. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, maybe after people listen to this program, that number will grow. I want to bring up something Williams talks about in the introductory chapter called the Newman effect. Now, I was familiar with the trend itself, but I had no idea it was an actual actual phenomenon traced back to an interview, a particular interview. Mark, can you describe the Newman effect for our audience? Because I think this is just, I love that it has a label. Yeah. So the Newman effect comes out of an interview that uh, I would argue the world's leading intellectual right now, Jordan Peterson, uh, who is a Canadian psychologist, a therapist, uh, psychotherapist. He did an interview with a Canadian journalist by the name of Kathy Newman. <clears throat> and I recommend you watch this if you haven't seen it before. It really puts it in bold relief and it's a pretty stunning interview. And she starts to try to paraphrase what she believes Jordan Peterson is saying. But he's really saying nothing of the sort. So he will say, she will say to him, so what you're saying is that and I don't remember if she says these exact words, but what you're saying is women should be inferior to men. And he laughs and he says, I didn't say anything like that. I don't, no, I, I don't agree with that. Well, and she goes on and over and over and over, she says, so what you're really saying is, and she thinks she's paraphrasing him, but she's not. What she's doing is she's taking what Jordan Peterson says or what she thinks he says, and she's filtering it through her own mad machine She's taking the ticket out the back end and presuming that she knows what Jordan Peterson is saying and presuming she knows what he means. Uh, and so the Newman effect is really, this is, I started to mention this earlier, it's negative motive attribution. Yeah. So if Jordan Peterson says something like, hey, look, I'm a strong believer in traditional marriage, right? Then she would say, so you think women, women should be barefoot and pregnant and subservient to their husbands. And he would say, I didn't say that. That's not what I'm saying. I believe in traditional marriage is what I said. She's going to take the most negative attribution to his motivation and place it on him. And the problem with the Newman effect, you'll see it all over the world, is that it prevents us from having any kind of common understanding or even having discussions. I'll give you an example of the Newman effect is, and it's, this is a hot one, which is around abortion, right? So I will say I am completely, totally, utterly pro-life. I am anti-abortion. I believe it's the killing of another human being. And I have had people say to me, so you want to control women's bodies? It's like, yep. I, I didn't say anything about controlling women's. I don't have any desire to control any woman's body. That has nothing to do with it. And I could describe my reasons for being pro-life. Mm -hmm. I believe in the sanctity of life. I think every life has value. I have a biblical worldview. But has nothing to do with it. I've never even heard a pro-life person say, I want to control women's bodies, but we hear that said about us all the time. That's the Newman effect, right? Oh, so what you're saying is, yeah. And, but, but here's the flip side that we do, I have to say as Christians, 
is somebody says, hey, look, I believe in a woman's right to choose. And then I say, oh, so you believe in killing babies. Right. Right. And the person's like, no, I didn't say, I think it's horrible to kill babies. Right. There's all there. I'm, and again, I think they're wrong. I want to be perfectly clear. I'm pro-life, but there's nuance in there. What they're thinking of themselves is, I believe in a woman's right to choose. I think of women who are stuck in horrible situations. I think of babies brought up in terrible situations. All of, by the way, again, I don't buy any of these arguments, but that's what they're thinking. They're not thinking, oh, I want to kill some babies. Right. It, you know, it's like an algebra equation that doesn't work. It's like trying to take one thing and make it equal something else, but it, the things aren't really equal. They're not really the same. Yeah. So right. let's be aware of that phenomenon. Mark, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to bring up one more thing. As he closes the introductory chapter, Williams issues some disclaimers, which I think are really good. And I won't go through all of them, but one that he mentions, that I think it's really important to mention on this program, is he points out that social justice A, the biblical worldview kind of justice, is not synonymous with the Republican Party or its policies. And I want to bring that up because I think it's important for those of us who, you know, do most closely associate with the Republican Party and its policies to remember that we don't like own the market on what justice actually is and we don't always get it right. So Mark, do you want to just comment on that before we close? Yeah, God owns the market on justice, right? This is a biblical principle. No human owns it. Certainly no messy, prickly, corrupt entity like a political party owns the notion of justice and the meaning of justice. I do agree. One party may or may not more align with actual biblical worldview justice than the other, but it's not limited by party. It's not Honestly, it's not limited by anything other than what is right and true and correct, and that's God's version of justice. So we should be very careful of that just because it's Republican, and if you're a Republican or just because it's Democrat and you're a Democrat, doesn't mean it's just and right. That's right. Well, that is all of our time for today. It went by quickly, but I hope that all of you will join Mark and me again next week and in the coming weeks as we dive into next week, we'll be doing chapter one of this great new book we're going to cover by Thaddeus Williams. It's called Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. 12 questions Christians should ask about social justice. And I encourage you to pick up a copy. You can get it on Amazon. I'd like to thank our generous sponsors at Blue Ridge Chimney Services, Blessings Christian Bookstore, Sunshine Ministries with Christian Radio, Wishing Well Florists and Travel Services, and our friends at New Beginnings Church and Garber's Church of the Brethren. Thank you all for listening and for your financial support. If you'd like to make a donation to help keep Crossroads on the air, you can do so by check to Crossroads at P.O. Box 881, Harrisonburg, Virginia, 22803. I'm Rita Peters with Mark Meckler, inviting you to join us again next week for another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads podcast. To learn more about Convention of States, Go to conventionofstates.com.